I often say one of the most important words to bring to retirement with you is the word no. And, and that's sometimes really hard for people. The good news is coming in to what I do now from HR, the only word we knew in HR was no. So we had an advantage. But I think it's really about all kidding aside, getting clear on what your priorities are, what you really want to do. And what you don't want to do is end up being really tied up in other people's priorities other than your own. So I just recommend that people go slow, experiment, pilot, try things, and then those really interesting things that are a fit for you will emerge. Retirement. That's what we're all aiming at, right? But exactly what does that mean? conjures up visions of endless days of golf, drinks with little umbrellas in them on a tropical beach, feet up, reading a book. Is that what it's all about? I don't think so. Life would get pretty dull after a while without anything meaningful to do, don't you think? I'm Jackie Doucette, and I'm on a mission to discover exactly what life is like beyond retirement. Join me while I chat with people who've already done it, who've retired to something rather than from something. Let's find out together exactly what's waiting for us when we say goodbye to that nine to five. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Retirement. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Joe Casey, whose podcast, Retirement Wisdom, is one that I listen to regularly. Business Insider named Joe one of 23 innovative coaches who are making a difference, and Joe's making a difference by helping people explore new options and discover a new direction after their primary career comes to an end. A direction that offers a new purpose and greater meaning in the second half of life. In short, he helps people who aren't done yet figure out what's next. Joe, thank you for joining me today. Jackie, it's great to be on here. I appreciate your podcast and love your episodes. Oh, thanks. I usually start by asking my guests to talk about how they ended up where they are. And I know that you had a very good career in HR with Merrill Lynch before changing direction. So can you talk a little bit about what was going on in your life and why you chose to move into the niche you're in now? Sure. No, I appreciate it. It was really in two stages. I was very fortunate to work in HR at Merrill Lynch for 26 years, and it was a great place to work because it was very dynamic. Each year was different from the previous one and worked with a lot of great people. Uh, in the financial crisis, we were acquired, and I hung around for about six months. But I knew before then that what I wanted to do was become a coach after HR. I thought after HR would happen when I was maybe around 60 or, or a little older, I'm 65 now. But it happened when I was 52. And so I decided, well, if I'm serious about this coaching thing, why not do it now? And so I, I took early retirement, went back to school made sure I was really well-trained in coaching. I did a master's degree and then I did a one-year program at Columbia University because I really wanted to understand it. And my interest in coaching had been really previous years. I had an excellent executive coach who really helped me improve as a senior leader. And I saw the impact it had on me, on the people on my team, and the ripple effect on the organization we supported. And I became very curious about why that was and began becoming interested. So I began the executive coaching practice and then about eight years ago, 
I had clients who started to ask me, hey, can you help me figure out what to do next? Because I want, don't want to be here when I'm 55, 60. I want to be doing something else. Can you help me figure out this next act? I want to retire, but I want to do something. And I said, well, I can't really do that, but let me figure out what I can find out. It started to come up more and more. And I said, there's really a second, second area to focus on here. And again, because as my wife says, I have a lot to learn, I have a lot to learn. I went back to school again. I uh, did a master's in gerontology at the University of Southern California, study of aging, and really began coaching people on what to do next. And that's that's been a very rewarding experience working with people. Wow. So you really uh, kind of went all out when you decided you were going to go into this. You took that on as a second career, just like you're teaching other people how to move forward. Yes, so I, I'm an all-out kind of person, <laughs> uh, but uh, I I do both. I I work with companies. Companies hire me uh, to work with their leaders. So I still do that quite a bit, and then on, and I also do the, the retirement side as well. And the podcasting aspect, as you know for yourself, has been really illuminating because I get to talk to fascinating people like yourself, learn learn something new every week, and so that's been a good combination. Oh, exactly. I love the podcasting. I I love the people that we get to meet. Um, something that I hear a lot from people after they've left their full-time work is that they get asked to do so many things that they're now simply so busy. They don't have any time to do what they want to do. Is that something you've encountered? And you know, how do you, how do you encourage people who say that? So I think it's a great point because I often say one of the most important words to bring to retirement with you is the word no. And that's sometimes really hard for people. The good news is coming in to what I do now from HR, the only word we knew in HR was no. So we had an advantage. But I think it's really about getting clear on what your priorities are, what you really want to do. And then secondly, having an experimental approach, not going all in. And I think when people retire, sometimes they dive in because there's a void in time and and they overcommit. And then it's awkward and difficult sometimes to remove yourself from things. And what you don't want to do is end up being really tied up in other people's priorities other than your own. So I just recommend that people go slow, experiment, pilot, try things. And then those really interesting things that are a fit for you will emerge. So that's a, that's a big key, I think, is the go slow rather than going all in with the first thing that comes along. And I think a lot of people do do that, as you say, and, and then they find themselves stuck in it the way they were stuck in a career before, perhaps, without a way out of it. Um, one of the things that every retirement coach I've spoken with says that if you want to uh, really get success post-retirement in your life, you have to have some kind of a purpose. And I think that kind of leads back to the figuring out what it is you want to do rather than jumping into everything. But you have to jump into a few things to figure out your purpose. Uh, do you agree with that? Or do you have a, a better way to find your purpose? I have a little different focus on purpose. I understand the, the and appreciate the importance of it. But I think in retirement, I personally think a lot of retirement coaches do people a disservice by saying you need a new purpose. Because it's kind of an overwhelming thing. I went on Amazon. I went to Home Depot. I went to Walmart. And I couldn't find a purpose anywhere. Uh, but all <laughs> what, I, what I've discovered through the work I do with clients is there's really a, another way, which is a multi-purpose approach, a multi-purpose retirement. Back to the experimenting, trying some new things for a period of time, trying out what fits for you. 
And then I find a, a purpose emerges. When people go in search of a purpose, it's it can be really very frustrating. What's my new purpose now? Well, I think you discover it by doing, and I think you discover it by doing some new things and something will take hold. But I, I, I caution people to not get frustrated because they, they go you know, two, three years in retirement and I don't have my purpose. Uh, you can discover one, but it's usually going to come from doing doing things. And that kind of leads back to the the idea of um, doing things, but not going all in with one thing at a time. It's like spread yourself out a little bit so you can see what's out there and find the things that interest you. And if you look, if you're a lucky person and knows what you want to do, great. Go after it. And you've got a clear purpose. Uh, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing. But I think most people coming out of a career are, are really looking for, well, what is this thing that's going to drive me? And I, I think you know, keeping an open mind, being willing to try some new things, I think is very important. What I've discovered in working with some people, particularly people who are expert, like physicians or even business people who are really well known in their field are really good at what they do. They actually are really reluctant to try something new because they don't want to look bad. Trying new things is easy for me because I'm very used to uh, looking bad. I'm not, <laughs> uh, but but I, I was really I was really thrown at first when when a lot of the clients I was working with, particularly the physicians, were not willing to just basic stuff like fun stuff try new because they hadn't been they hadn't been in a situation where they weren't the expert for decades, and it was really daunting. And so I really started to get more skillful and get him so let's break it down let's start try it it's not about how you look you can't be good at something right away matter of fact you usually get worse before you get better but what is the thing that interests you and be willing to give it a try and it really had, and they had to reframe their expectations that way but i really had to get an understanding that they hadn't been hadn't hadn't been in that situation for quite some time i find too a lot of people say they don't know anything besides what they're doing as their job and and they can't leave because that's all they know. And I think it goes back to that, you know, being, being scared to try something new because it is new and not really knowing what their interests are because they put them on the shelf for so long. How do you, how do you encourage someone to find new interests? Because people, as you say, they, they don't want to try something new. And, and most of them say, you know, I, I'm just not interested in anything. Yes, I think I've, I've encountered that where clients said to me, look, I'm re- I actually don't have any interest, interest uh, outside of work. And I am embarrassed by that. And uh, that's why I'm afraid of retirement, especially men. Yeah. A lot of my men clients will say something similar to that. And what I always do is, and I learned this the hard way because with one client, I was, I'm always future oriented. And I was doing that with that particular client and it did work. And the problem wasn't him, it was me. So I learned to go back and say, let's go back to a time when you weren't an engineer, weren't a lawyer, weren't a business person, et cetera, uh, whatever you did for a living. Let's go back to a time before that, which, by the way, it takes them a while to just, <laughs> just that mindset. <laughs> what you like to do then? Let's, and, and I've learned to go decade by decade. Okay, let's go zero to 10, 10 to 20, 20 to 30. And, and all of a sudden, some things start to emerge. And they started to discover, I learned that, oh, there were these things I really loved, but I gave them up because we were raising children. I had that big promotion, and they kind of faded away. And then if you start to bring them back and, and really reconnect with some of them one by one, 
there's a spark that goes off a little bit. And some of those things now, if you did them in the 70s, they're easier to do now because of technology and all these other things. Uh, and it's easier to reconnect. It's easier to take it to the next level. So I found people looking back is a great way to spur yourself to go forward. The other That's thing perfect. is to try something. Is try something with other. Sorry, to try something with other people. If there's some people that that like to do something, particularly if they're also beginners, doing it with someone else can make it easier. And and then third, have a sense. Bring your sense of humor. <laughs> it's. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it's it's you're doing something new. It's supposed to be fun. Uh, you know, look at it that way. That's so true, and that's that's the way that I approach it as well. I I tend to ask people when you were finished school for the day when you're ten years old and running outside, you didn't think about work. What did you like to do? To you know, sure, it's a ten year old like, but we can extrapolate that and take it into something new and. And I like uh, I like what you say about trying something new. Um, there's all kinds of adult beginner programs where everybody's in the same same position. You know, learn to golf, learn to curl, learn to do whatever, and you're going to look uh, only as silly as the rest of them. So many choices, and it even goes even goes um, you know, more day to day than that sometimes too. And I was struck by a book that Ken Blanchard, who's the you know the author of the One Minute Manager series. Back in the, the 80s, he co-wrote a book with a, a researcher, a physician, I believe, uh, Morton Shavitz. It's called uh, Don't Retire, Refire. Re I may have backwards, Refire, Don't Retire. And it really made an impression on me because he, he talked about they had this serendipity club. And there was only one rule in the serendipity club. You can't say no. The way it worked was that on Friday afternoon, uh, they would send out the invitation to a small group of people that were going to have dinner that night together. And they would always go to a new restaurant with a new type of food, and you couldn't turn it down. And I thought, what a, what a great idea. And years later, I was in uh, Washington, D.C. with our youngest daughter, who was in college at the time. And she said, uh, Dad, where do you want to go to dinner tonight? So I rattled off a list of uh, my favorite places there. And said, well, let's try this uh, Ethiopian restaurant. And it's great because there are no utensils. You'll love it. I, thought, I, I said, no, no, let's go to so-and-so, such such place, you know, it's tried and true. And I stopped on my tracks. I remembered the serendipity club. And I said, okay, <laughs> let's, let's do it. Because our, sometimes our first reaction is, no, let's stay with the tried and true. But it yeah. was a great experience. I've been there several times since. And it was a great, uh, great, great reminder for me. So be open to trying new foods, new, new things as well. Can be, can be very, you know, there's plenty of opportunities all the time. That's a great idea. I read a book also, um, The Year of Saying Yes. I think Shonda oh. Rhimes. And the whole, the whole premise is the same thing. She didn't say no to anything for an entire year. And it's tough. So what do you feel... Um, are the biggest problems that most people have when they're faced with retirement? There are a few that I see in the work I do. The first one is not thinking about the non-financial side of it. They will get the money right, have an advisor, work the spreadsheets, do the plans, and then that's important. It's critical. But then I put off the, what am I going to do with my time? Invest, how am I going to invest my time? And then all of a sudden it becomes something different, something more challenging than expected after the honeymoon period. Because once you do retire, it's great. You have freedom of time. 
that annoying boss isn't uh, uh, <laughs> mind anymore, and that annoying coworker isn't part of your day to day. No alarm clock, all that stuff. But then it's hard to have a 20, 30 year vacation. Even that becomes becomes a little bit yep. of a burden. So I think you know, well, failing to plan for how you're going to invest your time is is one thing. The second thing is is really not looking at the emotional side of retirement, which is when you leave the office on that last day and you go home, you're going to bring some things with you, some files, et cetera, et cetera, things from your office. But what we're waiting for, what's also coming with you and waiting for you when you get home is your emotional stuff that you put off during your working career. So thinking about you know, how are you going to feel, what's your attitude? So it's one of the most important assets you can bring is, is your attitude. How do you think about uh, getting older, for example? Uh, and how are you going to use that time? So those are the two things. Uh, the other one is connected to the emotions. And that what I see a lot is, is, especially among my male clients, is fear, fear of uncertainty, fear of the unknown, fear of being bored. And so it's coming to grips with that saying, okay, this is, a, this is new. This is uncharted territory. What am I going to do about it? But you're really labeling that and getting into being able to, you know, sit with that and move forward because it's a natural, natural feeling to be, to be afraid of an uncertain period like that and start to build your uncertainty. So we've got failure to plan for the non-financial things, the emotions that you have to take with you from work, fear and uncertainty. So let's go into each one of those. How do you help someone through them? Sure. So the first one is the core of the work I do, and that's the let's plan for how you're going to invest your time. Looking at it like an investment decision, because a lot of the people I work with have covered the financial side well. They've done that work, and so now it's you know shifting. And I always tell people, the financial side, whether you do it yourself or with an advisor, is a left brain type of thing. It's quantitative, it's linear, it's logical. But you move into this side, how are you going to invest your time? And it's a right brain thing. And for some people, that's a big challenge because it takes imagination. And that's what you want to add into the mix. You want to be able to imagine what life could be like in this phase. And how do you really want to explore some things and take on some new things, do some things uh, with for yourself or, and with others who are important to you in your life? So we really start using, well, I use a process called Design Your Life, which is developed by two Stanford professors, Dave Evans and Bill Burnett. I'm one of the few people, I think, still one of their certified coaches using it for retirement. And it's a great way to get people to use the principles of design thinking to imagine alternative visions of their future. So five-year windows, you could here's one pathway, let's compare it to another pathway. And then the third one is a wild card. What could you do if there were no obstacles, financial, geographic, et cetera, uh, just for fun. And those really open people's thinking up quite a bit. And again, it's a, it's a, it's a right brain exercise. And there's a lot that leads up to it. And after that, the rubber meets the road because just like a new product, you'd want to prototype your ideas. So you have conversations with people who are doing some of the things today that you might want to do down the road. And you learn a lot more about them. You develop some new connections and relationships and you give a chance, give yourself a chance to try to test some of the things you have in mind. So that's the way I get get people involved in that is, is through the, that, that particular process. It's usually about six coaching sessions to go through it. I always tell people, you can do it yourself. It's a great book. Came out in 2016. Get the 2016 version, not the later ones, which are more work-oriented. Uh, but if you do buy the book and you do it yourself, don't read the book. Read the book and do the exercises. It's all about the exercises. And most people just read the book. It's a great book. It's easy to read. It's well done. Uh, but they they don't follow through in the exercises. 
I know that because I've coached many people who love the book, including you know, ones who went to uh, weekend workshops with the, the co-authors who are terrific, especially in person. Uh, but you want to just concentrate on doing the exercises in a disciplined way at your own pace. So we, uh, we've touched or you've touched briefly on the kind of work that you do. Can you tell us a little bit about your coaching practice and, and you know, what, what people can expect from you? Sure. So on the leadership side, I, I really work with leaders in different industries, mostly financial services, but also technology and healthcare. And I help them become better leaders. So I interview people who they work with to find out what they're doing. Usually these are people who are being promoted or handling bigger jobs and really define what they need to do to succeed. With retirement uh, clients, I help them together determine what their next moves would be. What is their future going to look like, what they want it to be like? What are the obstacles that they need to overcome? And we develop a plan together over a period of time. I usually work with clients for three to six months, although I do have a number of clients who have worked with me for a year or more. It's not my goal or business model or approach, uh, but some of them uh, really are making big changes and they they want the support. But I work with them to help them uh, reimagine their the, reimagine their future, get clear about their priorities, and using design or designing your life, come up with some creative idea generation, and then it ends with really having a tactile plan to really make the, these things happen that they want to do. So it's I meet with people every other week for an hour by Zoom virtually, sometimes ninety minutes depending on where we are in the process. And it's a collaborative effort, but it's a pleasure to work with people who are really interested in, in developing you know, their future. I also do it in a group a few times a year. We uh, bring a group together of up to 10 people, and that way people are learning from each other. So it's not a, it's not a class. It's a coaching program that's done with a group of people virtually, breakout sessions, interactive exercises, et cetera, homework each time in between. And we get together every other week for a period of three months. Wow. So... You definitely make people work for their retirement. Well, it's just like just like you, I know your career, so your LinkedIn profile. Anything, anything that's that's worth it requires requires work and effort. The good news about designing your life work is it, the exercises they have are not time consuming or actually that that uh, uh, heavy much heavy lifting. They're elegantly designed because they want to try to get us to tap into more of our creative thought process, more of that right brain stuff. So for example, some of them are like three minute exercises. You do it you know, three or four in a row, uh, maybe up to five. Uh, there's a lot of visual parts brought into it to try to again, you know, create create um, create that. I went through the process myself when I was uh, trained by them in this method. And when I was <clears throat> packing up this office that I'm talking with you today uh, for COVID, March 17th, 2020, I looked at what am I going to need at home for the next four weeks? Because that's what I thought it would be <laughs> at, the, <laughs> at that time. And I I brought my Odyssey plan. I looked at it and I got chills because I said, boy, well, so much has already taken place. In the middle of it, uh, I had drawn a picture of a book. No one, I never really thought about writing a book, but people told me you should write a book someday. And through the process, there was right in the middle of there, which I, which I ultimately did. So be careful. I always tell people, be careful what you put on these, these plans. They have a way of coming true. Uh, but but that, that was a great, great experience. And it, it does tap into different ways of thinking. And that uh, that was a good segue, actually, because I was going to ask you about your book. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what people will find in it? Sure. So the book came out of that design your life process. And as I looked at it, I said, I want to share what I was learning from 
coaching people for eight years, not a person for eight years, but multiple people over over the last eight years. And I want to share share what I learned there. And then the research I shared when I went back to school for a master's in gerontology at, at USC, uh, which I finished at age 60. Uh, someone said, why'd you do that? I said, well, I've never been old before, so I thought it might come in handy. Uh, but it actually <laughs> did the work that I do. So what I did was I actually went back and looked at all my clients. I said, what were the common obstacles they faced? What did they really need to overcome? And what emerged was a picture of, of nine things that each one had its opposite. So, which didn't, wasn't apparent at the beginning. But so, for example, one of the first challenges that many mentioned before, many people face was fear of boredom. Well, the opposite of that is curiosity. And so there's a lot of research on boredom, which I was surprised to discover. Uh, I'm glad that I uh, I read it so you don't have to. Uh, but I summarize <laughs> it. And then there's equally a lot of research on how to apply curiosity. And if you're if you are curious, you cultivate it, you're really never bored. It's impossible. So, uh, but I've learned a lot about the boredom part in terms of use it as a signal, use it as a catalyst to get you to try something new, do something different. So what emerged was nine forces that really people need to overcome. No one faced all nine. They usually faced two or three. But what started to emerge is a hierarchy. There was a certain group that were really important that almost everyone can encounter in some way. And then as you got higher, and the last one was really this whole purpose thing. And that's where I saw the pattern of multi-purpose retirement, that people were getting to a place where they thought purpose by trying different things and having one emerge. So yes. what they'll find in the book is exercises. They'll find uh, it's, a, it's, it's a story. I created a story based on a f- uh, composite fictional client based on the, the eight years. So I created a, a, a f- fictional client. Uh, named Pete, who goes through this whole process with a coach who's loosely designed on me, but it's not me. His name is his name is Rick, and the coach works with them for a period of time. When when uh, Pete is in his mid fifties and he just loses his job suddenly, without warning. As a matter of fact, he was downsized over Zoom. And uh, that was a tough day, Pete. And for a, for a minute, Pete didn't know what he was going to do next. But he started to try some new things. And the story comes, comes together at the end. Well, it's good to know that Pete has a has a happy ending, or at least a more happy ending than a, what might have been, starting off with retirement over Zoom. There's a lot of challenges along the way. But he has a lot of support and he has a lot of insights. And he gets very engaged in the research, in, in the research part, midway through the book. And Rick, as a coach, does something I don't do as a coach, but he basically has this sports metaphor of a, a scouting report. So he says, for each of these challenges, I'm going to give you a scouting report breakdown. Here's what the research says. Uh, here's, here's what the research said about boredom, and here's what it says about curiosity that we can use to, to counteract boredom. And so by the middle of the book, Pete gets so into it, he starts doing the research and and explaining to Rick, which is exactly how coaching works, uh, exactly what the Scott report is. So it's uh, so I share research, but at the end of each chapter, there's a quick summary of key points, and there are exercises you can do on your own to build your own your own uh, path toward retirement. Oh, fabulous! I'll make sure that there's a link to that in the show notes so that people can go and find it. Um, just kind of to wrap things up, you talked about. 
multi-purpose retirement. And you've talked a little bit about the the challenges or the things that we need to do, the curiosity that we need to kind of cultivate in order to be successful. Can you talk a little bit about um, how to balance that? Like how to how to find enough challenge so that we're not bored, but not so much challenge that we're just overwhelmed by it. That that is, I think, the essence of the whole 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 thing. I see a lot of people when they first think about retirement is kicking back and relaxing. That's great, and you should do that. People have earned it, but if that's all you do, you really not you know living the life that you probably sacrificed all those years saved for that you really really had in mind so the question is how do you bring in the right degree of challenge and i think that comes with what we talked about before about being willing to to commit to lifelong learning trying new things learning new things and, and it doesn't have to always be in a classroom setting although that can be a great way to do it but just really continuing to know that we don't stop growing once we retire we can continue to learn. We can continue to grow personally in many different different ways. And game's not over yet. Keep going and keep learning. So I think what challenge is finding that right level uh, of am I learning? Am I pushing myself in a positive way so that I'm better today than I was yesterday or last year, et cetera, et cetera? The new year is a great way to do it. Not resolutions, <laughs> but, but goals. Uh, what's that one thing you want to learn next year? Start small. Don't take on too much. Don't try to ace your retirement in year one or month one. But, but look at how, how can I continue my personal growth? How can I be a better, in my case, father, husband, now new grandfather. Our uh, granddaughter's nine months old now coming uh, yeah. to visit us tomorrow. And uh, for all the roles in your life, how can, how can you continue to grow in each of those? There's always a path for us. But keep it simple and keep it gradual because most people have been at this retirement game for, for quite some time. I think that's really good advice. All the things that you've said. So um, just as a final kind of a wrap up then, can you tell us a little bit about your website, what people can find, anything you'd like them to know about you and your, and your programs? Sure. So the website is really focused on a couple of things. There are uh, blog posts. We have a, uh, a writer who does some great stuff at Beth Shell for us, uh, who uh, writes on a lot of topics about retirement. I occasionally chime in as well. And then I'll have all episodes of our podcasts. And uh, it'll have on there, we have a quiz you can take to give a quick chance to, for you to see how you're doing, how prepared you are for the non-financial side of retirement. So it's, it literally takes a few minutes to just go through it and give you a score and highlight some areas to potentially work on. There are currently uh, some retirement calculators on there. Uh, they're not proprietary, but there are links to, 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 to retirement calculators. Uh, there's a link to a longevity calculator on there too, because that's always a big question, how long will I live? It's not going to give you the answer, but it'll give you uh, a place <laughs> to work with me. And, uh, and, and then I also do review periodically uh, books that have come across my radar. Uh, that I think are good about retirement for retirement. I've learned that some of the best books on retirement are actually not about retirement. They're about life and you can apply them to this phase. So I have very short reviews there. Many of them I led to me then interviewing the author. So you'll see that links to the podcast if it's appropriate, not all. And I've got some catching up to do in the reviews. <laughs> and 
by the way, the book reviews and the podcast links back to what I used to like when I was uh, 10. I used to get in, in trouble in school, science class in particular, because I was reading under my desk books on baseball. And uh, so one thing I like about the writing the book reviews and following up uh, with conversation with authors is it keeps me reading a new book each and every week uh, on these these subjects. So the people find that there. And then the the programs, uh, I have two things I do. I do one-on-one coaching for 36 months with people who are interested in working on the non-financial side of retirement. And then a few times a year, I form a group of uh, up to 10 people where we go through the designing life process together. Nice. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, Joe, for taking the time to chat with me today. I've really enjoyed it. I think that the the wisdom that you provide around retirement is second to none. And I know that the people who are coached by you are definitely uh, lucky to have you. Thanks, Jackie. It's great to have the chance to talk to you. It's such a surreal experience to be talking to someone you listen to for so long on a podcast. Exactly. And that's it for this episode of Beyond Retirement. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I hope you enjoyed it. To check out the video interviews, please go to my YouTube channel at bit.ly forward slash beyond retirement. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash beyond retirement. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss any new episodes.